0: But I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome yeah. we to the business. podcast America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, November 11th, I think I'll drop this episode on Thursday, maybe Friday, November 12th, whatever, whenever I drop this episode, I hope everybody's doing well, hope everybody's having a great day, and I just got one question for you, raise your hand if your alma mater hired Jim L. Mora as its head football coach, that is right, we are going to talk about UConn coming out of complete left field, forget left field, it was out of the cornfields in Iowa, as Jim Mora. The former, of course, NFL head coach and UCLA head coach is the new head coach at UConn. From there, we will get into a couple other topics as well as the Week 11 college football slate. We got Michigan-Penn State. We got Georgia-Tennessee. We got Ole miss Hosting Texas A&M. So an interesting slate as the, the college football playoff picture continues to progress, but I would also say the college football coaching carousel is getting more interesting as more coaches are being fired early, more guys are being hired early, and the latest is Jim Elmore. And so let's get into the topic of the day. And let me just say this. The one thing I love about, co- about hosting this show, about doing what I do, about talking sports is that you just have no idea what you are going to talk about on any given day. Sometimes you wake up, and Ed Orgeron has been fired after a win against Florida. Sometimes you wake up, and Scott Frost just got an extension in the middle of a 3-7 and season. And so you never know what you're going to talk about. But I can tell you this. When I woke up on Thursday morning, if you had told me, Torres, give me – you get 100 guesses – at what you're going to lead your show with. No, 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 a thousand guesses. No, 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 10,000 guesses. The names, Jim L. Moore, I guess it's one name, not names. Jim L. Moore would not have been in my top 10,000 guesses of what I could possibly talk about as, as I said, the former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, the former head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and the former head coach of the UCLA Bruins has now been named the head coach at my alma mater. I actually like the hire. I actually think relative to what the expectations are at UConn, it could work. I'm actually really genuinely excited about UConn football and kind of following the recruiting and the portal stuff for the first time in a long time. And so let's get into it. Let's break it down. And before we do, I want to give you a little bit of context here, right, because Over the last few weeks and in the next few weeks going forward, we're going to talk a lot of college football coaching stuff, right? But I think it's always important to remember that all of these situations are different. What works at LSU or what is acceptable at LSU is not the case with Nebraska. I mean, LSU wins a national championship two years ago and Ed Orgeron is fired less than two years later. And I don't think it was the wrong move. At the same time, nebraska is in year four year uh going into year five of the scott frost era they're three and seven can't get over the hump and scott frost is coming back for another year that wouldn't be acceptable at lsu that wouldn't be acceptable at florida but at nebraska it makes sense and so We're going to talk about UConn football. This may be the only podcast nationally that is going to spend this much time on UConn football, but it's my alma mater. I think I have unique perspective. And so when we talk UConn football, I think we have to understand a couple things about the UConn football program, where it is, what it is capable of being, all that good stuff. And so what I would say is UConn fans understand where they are in the hierarchy of college football. I think that is important to understand. There are no visions of grandeur of going 11-1 or 12-0 and making the college football playoff. In the same way that I talked a few weeks ago or a few days ago about Nebraska fans understanding it's not 1992, we're not going 12-0 in this era of college football, UConn fans understand we're not going 11-1. We're not playing in major bowl games, and all UConn fans really want is is a product that is acceptable and can make the school proud. Nobody's saying we have to step on the field and compete with Alabama tomorrow. Nobody is saying you got to go toe-for-toe in recruiting with Texas A&M. That isn't realistic. That isn't going to happen. But UConn is a prideful school. Connecticut is a prideful state. And the athletic department specifically takes pride in competing and playing at the highest level. They understand the limitations of the Yukon football program, but going 1-11 when the only win is against Yale, losing to Holy Cross, and pretty much getting embarrassed every single time that you step on the football field is unacceptable for the Yukon standard. Right? We talk about the Alabama standard with Nick Saban. We talk about the the whatever. The the Florida standard with Dan Mullen. The Yukon standard is Put a product out that we can be proud of. That's been the thing with Dan Hurley over the last couple years. It's not that Dan Hurley has won a national championship yet, although I think he's capable of it. It's that he has UConn playing the way that they should. Hard, competing, defense, physical, toughness. And that's all UConn fans want from their football team. Don't embarrass us every time we go out on the field Saturday. You don't have to win every game, but do not embarrass us. What I would also say about this UConn job, and we'll talk about it more later, I told you. This job isn't as bad as everybody made it out to be. Everybody was talking about it as the worst job in college football at the FBS level. And I think they might have the worst roster in at the FBS level in college football, which is a direct reflection of Randy Edsel, a direct reflection of his incompetence running the football program. But as I told you, over the last two, two and a half, three months after Randy Edsel got fired, this program does not have to be as bad as it is, okay? This is a state school with state funding. Um, I I think Jim Mora may be doing a press conference as I'm recording right now. I don't know what his salary is, but his salary isn't going to be the worst in college football. On top of that, um, I do think you're going to have money for a salary pool to bring in real assistants. Now, are you going to steal the defensive coordinator from Texas A&M? Of course, you're not going to steal Mike Elko or uh, whoever, but at the same time, the idea that this job was the worst job in college football never jived with me. Not saying it's Bama, not saying it's AM, not saying it's Oklahoma, not saying it's Texas. But it ain't Akron either. It ain't Florida International either. It ain't uh, San Jose State either. And I believe that you could get a competent football coach. And last little thing before we get to Jim Harbaugh, what I would also say – I have argued for years, the independent schedule helps UConn, not hurts it, okay? Think about UConn's schedule relative to Akron, relative to Florida International, relative to Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky Kentucky may be a bad example because they played Indiana at home earlier this year, but the independent schedule has allowed UConn to have a real schedule, okay? They play about seven, eight Power 5 teams a year, and usually one to two of them is at home. Um, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's playing under the lights in Bryant-Denny Stadium, but they played Purdue at home this year, which is a top 25 team right now. They play Boston College, Syracuse. They play NC State next year at home. NC State currently in the top 25. And so I never believed this was a terrible job. I never believed that you had to scrape the bottom of the barrel and get somebody else that that, that, that nobody else wants. And you end up with Jim Moore. And I'm not saying that he was, uh, you know, in line to get the LSU job or anything. But I think when you really peel back the layers, when you really look at what he did, I think he can actually be pretty successful here at UConn. First of all, the one thing I would say is a couple things. First of all, he wasn't nearly as bad, not only at UCLA, but in the NFL, as people remember. Here is his resume in the NFL. Year one with the Atlanta Falcons, he goes 11-5. and and makes the NFC championship game, okay? How many coaches in college football do you know that have played to go to a Super Bowl? Jim Harbaugh has, and I think outside of him, I can't think of any other coach that has been a head coach in a in a championship game. I could be mistaken on this stat, but I believe there are only two active head coaches in the NFL, or in college football, that have Won a playoff game as an NFL head coach. Jim Harbaugh is one. Jim Mora at UConn is two. Chip Kelly may have won a playoff game at UCLA or when he was with Philadelphia. That would be three, but the list was small. But here is what he did with the Atlanta Falcons. 11-5, 8-8, and 7-9. and Clearly, they peaked in year one. I get it. He still finished twenty six and twenty two as an NFL head coach over a three year span, and then he goes to Seattle for one year, goes five and eleven. They have a chance to hire Pete Carroll, and he doesn't get a real run there. Instead, they fire him and bring in Pete Carroll. At UCLA, I think this stat is going to blow your mind. He was forty six and thirty at UCLA. We we think of him, oh, he got fired, he's terrible. Here's what you need to know: Year one, nine and five at UCLA. Win the Pac-12 South play in what I believe was the first ever Pac-12 Championship game. Year two, they go ten and three, second in the Pac-12 South. Year three, ten and three. Year four, eight and five, and then from there it bottomed out four and eight and five and six. I'm not saying the guy is Vince Lombardi. I'm not saying he's Nick Saban, but UConn, the school that you guys tried to tell me was the worst job in power in in, in FBS football a few months ago, just hired a coach that has two 10-win seasons in the last decade, and four eight-win seasons in the last decade as a college football coach. I I, I don't know off the top of my head, but there's probably not very many schools that can say that. And I don't know if anybody is going to be able to say that in the hiring process when it's all said and done. Maybe LSU if they get uh, Luke Fickle or somebody. Maybe USC if they get James Franklin. But, I mean, the guy won 10 games twice, eight games four times as a UCLA head coach at the Power 5 level. The guy was successful. He wasn't great. If he was great, he'd still be there. But we're talking about UConn here. They just got a guy who won 10 games twice, eight games four times as a power five coach. Here's the other thing. I got some pushback from UConn fans on this on Thursday morning, although I would say most of them uh, have have been actually very excited about the hire. What I would say about Jim Mora, people say, well, you know, he's never recruited the East Coast. Well, he had never recruited, period. When he got the UCLA job. I lived in LA when he got the job. Or I think I actually moved out here. The summer that he was about to go into his first year. But I remember that first year. The big argument was kind of like. Well yeah he's coming from the NFL. But is he going to be able to recruit at the college level? Can he recruit? Well I looked it up. Jim Moore assigned five. Recruiting classes in his time as UCLA head coach. All five. Finished in the top 20 nationally, including a couple that were in the top 10. Clearly, he's not going to sign top 10 classes at UConn. That is not what I'm saying. But the idea coming into UCLA was that he couldn't recruit. He adjusted. He figured out a way. He got the job done. Oh, by the way, on top of that, he signed some guys that are really good NFL players. He signed Josh Rosen, who was a first-round pick. Okay, he isn't that good, but you get the point. He signed Jalen Phillips, who ended up at Miami, but was a first-round pick last year. He signed Miles Jack, one of the best young linebackers in the NFL. I could go on and on and on and on and on, and I am not saying that Jim Mora is going to sign those caliber of players at UConn, but he has clearly coached in the NFL. He has an eye for talent. He knows what NFL talent looks like, and to me, the recruiting thing isn't a big issue. To me, what it ultimately comes down to and my understanding is he's already talked about it at the at his opening press conference, it all basically comes down to one simple thing. It comes down to, is this guy going to hit the transfer portal? Is this guy going to do what you need to do in modern college football to have success? I'll tell you a funny story. Josh Pate works for 24-7 Sports. I think he's one of the best college football guys that I, I insight that I know. Uh, you know, he and I have talked a few times. I don't know him that well. But he calls the transfer portal the easy pass in college football. You know how when you're driving on the speedway, you're driving on the highway, whatever, I guess the speedway is where NASCAR cars race, but you're driving on the highway, you're driving on the freeway, you got the easy pass, you you, you avoid traffic and go straight through. He says that's what the transfer portal is, and that's what I believe that it is, okay? And so what I believe Jim Mora is ultimately going to be successful or as a failure at UConn is simply how much does he embrace the transfer portal? We know you can't sign top 20 classes at UConn. We know there's not a ton of high school talent in the northeast part of the country. But what you can do in 2021, and this has been my argument since the day the job opened, it is very simple. You can go out and get good players in the portal. And the great thing that Jim Mora has going for him right now, he has what I believe is is the least talented roster in college football. I'm not exaggerating. That's not hyperbole. It's my alma mater. I would love to say I was wrong. I think it is the least talented roster in college football. UConn fans might push back on me. I watched the Holy Cross game. UConn lost to an FCS school named Holy Cross, which is good, but not even an elite program at the the FCS level below FBS. Fewer scholarships, not recruiting in an elite level, Holy Cross was better athletically, better skilled, more talented, I thought, across the board than UConn, or at the very least, they were much better coached. I don't know if they were definitively better, but they were absolutely better coached, and I didn't see any disparity between the two schools in terms of size, speed, athleticism, toughness. And again, this was after a year in which Randy Edsel said they couldn't play because they needed to be away from football. They didn't play a single game during the COVID year. And so I bring all of it up to just say, Jim Moore can flip this roster pretty quick, and he has the number one thing that you want when you go into the portal. He's got playing time to be had. This roster stinks. And if you can go into the portal, and if you can be aggressive, and if you can sell guys, hey, come to UConn. There's immediate playing time here for you. I believe that is a sales pitch that works because I talk about it all the time. All these guys talk about, I want to win. I want to play at the highest level. And I do think for a lot of guys, that is the case. I do think there's a lot of guys that they just want to play in the SEC, that want a chance to compete in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or whatever. Um, and I think it's worked for a lot of programs. I think it worked for Tennessee this year. Josh Heupel went in the, in, the, in the portal and said, we got scholarships to be had. We got playing time to be had. Come play. If you think you're one of the best college football players in America, come play in the best conference in college football. Tennessee is doing really good. And I think UConn can sell some version of that. Not that you're going to be playing in the best conference of college football, but you could come here. There is immediate playing time to be had at pretty much every single position. And we're going to give you a stage of, we play a couple really elite programs every year. We play Michigan next year. We play Tennessee in 2023. We play power fives up and down, left and right. If you're good enough to play in the NFL, come here, play, get out. And I think Jim Moore is going to be able to sell that aspect of it as well. I know what it takes to get you to the NFL. We know we know UConn's been bad. You don't think of UConn as an NFL school, but one, NFL players have come out of UConn before. Your boy Torres, who's talking to you right now, I'm, I'm getting out of my Jim Mora voice and getting back to my Torres voice. I was there When Dan Orlovsky was there, I was there when Darius Butler was there, who played nine years in the league. I just did a a UConn alumni panel with him a few years, a few months ago. I was there when Tyvon Branch was there. I was there when Anthony Sherman, I think he was there a little bit after me. Uh, Bleedy Ray Wills, I mean, you go on and on down the list. UConn pumped out pros all the time. And so Jim Moore is going to say, I coach in the NFL. I know what it takes. I got contacts. I can help you. Come here, ball out, get out, go to the NFL. And so to me, ultimately, I think that is what will determine Jim Mora's successes and failures. Will he be aggressive in the portal and will he do what he needs to do in the portal? Because if he is, there are plenty of talented players that are going to be looking for opportunities at a place like UConn where they can step on the field and play right away, especially if they're older college football players. Finally, what I would say, I just want to say a couple things before we get out of here. Um, I keep saying, I think Jim Mora can be successful. What is successful? I think I talked about it a minute ago, but just to reiterate, UConn gets where they are in the pecking order of college football. UConn, as I said a minute ago, is also a very prideful athletic department. UConn does not accept mediocrity. UConn does not accept, I think the bigger thing than mediocrity is a, a, a seeming lack of effort or seeming lack of interest. That was what Randy Edsel had in running the UConn football program. He thought he was a victim. He thought we should feel sorry for him, and the game passed him by. Didn't want to use the transfer portal, didn't want to recruit, wanted to complain, didn't want the players to play last year, needed them to sit out for a season. That's unacceptable to UConn. And so no one thinks at UConn, to be abundantly clear, no one thinks that Jim Moore is going 11-1. I want to make that clear. I just want you guys to know that I speak for the entire UConn. No one thinks UConn is going 11-1. But can you, put on a, 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 can you put a team on the field that competes hard and plays hard? I think Jim Moore will. That was the biggest upgrade that he had at UCLA when he got there. They were soft under Rick Neuheisel in one offseason. He increased the toughness in that athletic department and in that program. And then two, can he just get us to 6-6 six and six in a bowl game? I just did a radio interview in, in College Station, Texas. I was talking to my buddy David Nuno, Tex-Hags Radio. I said, there will be no program that has ever been happier to go to the Independence Bowl and play in Shreveport on New Year's Eve than UConn, if you could just get back to 6-6 six and six and a little bit of respectability. So that's my only take. And then finally, I give the AD, Dave Benedict, a ton of credit. It would have been e- easy after the Randy Edsel era to do the woe is me thing. It would have been easy to sit there and say, we're an in- independent in a power conference world. We stink. We can't get the kind of candidate that is going to make this fan base happy. And I understand that not everyone in the fan base is happy. But at the same time, um, there was a situation where Dave Benedict, the AD, had a situ- he had a circumstance where he very easily could have felt sorry for himself. He very easily could have tried to sell the UConn Athletic Department that we're not good enough, that we can't get a real candidate. I don't know if Jim Moore is going to work. I don't know if he won't. But I'll tell you this. He just went out, Dave Benedict, and got... A coach that has multiple 10-win seasons at the Power 5 level that is coached in the NFL that is going to really be able to sell stuff to recruits when he gets them both on Zoom and on campus. And so I'm excited about the hire. I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't think 11-1 Sugar Bowl seasons are coming for UConn. But in a world where everybody plays in a bowl game, do I think they can get back to 6-6? Six and six? Do I think they can get back to respectability? Do I think that they can get people back to Rensselaer Field and have a little pride in the football program? I absolutely do. I cannot wait to see. And I am excited for what Dave Benedict did with this hire. All right, that's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and I want to preview Week 11 college football. A lot of fun games. Michigan-Penn State. Georgia-Tennessee. UConn. Clemson no we won't be talking about that one but guess what we got a new coach baby all right I'll be right back week 11 college football all right before we get to the week 11 slate in college football very quickly I do want to welcome back our partners and our friends at DraftKings in the DraftKings Sportsbook you guys say to me all the time you say Torres what can I do to help you I like Aaron Torres I like the Aaron Torres pod I like Aaron Torres media I like your writing you annoy me sometimes but I like you enough and I want to help Here's what you can do. If you're a new user, first-time user, go to DraftKings Sportsbook, use the link in the show description, and I got a special, special deal for you. This is what the deal is for you college football junkies that want to bet on this weekend's games. For new users, here's the deal. Bet $1 on any game, and if that team scores one point, just one, You get $100 in free bets. That is 100% right. You heard it correct. So pick a team. You know they'll score a point. Take Alabama. They're playing New Mexico State. Not telling you what to do, but what I am telling you, if you think Alabama can score one point against New Mexico State, all you got to do is bet one single dollar. If they score one single point, you get $100 in free bets. It is the best deal going in sports betting. This is what you have to do. Click the link in the show description. If you listen on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, there will be a link in the show description. Sign up for a new account to DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Bet $1 on any team, and if that team scores one point, you get an automatic $100 thanks to DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. As I said, it is the best offer in sports betting going. DraftKings Sportsbook, Aaron Torres Pod. Link in the show description. Click there. Bet $1. If your team scores one point, you get 100 in free bets. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee, 21 plus or over to 18 plus or over in wyoming arizona colorado illinois indiana iowa michigan new jersey pennsylvania tennessee virginia west virginia wyoming only minimum five dollar deposit minimum one dollar wager eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions all right everybody i am back good to be back good to be back And I do want to switch gears. and I do want to take a hard left turn because it's really interesting. So I recorded the Jim Morris stuff middle of the day Thursday. I'm actually going in to do Fox Sports Radio on Thursday night. And so I was recording a little bit early on Thursday as is. And right as I finished the Jim Morris segment, I started to ask myself, I said, you know, it's not a huge slate in college football. Is there anything else that's going on in the world of sports that I could possibly talk about on today's show? Uh, and for a second, I thought about talking about the Texas stuff with the coach yelling and screaming and all that stuff. And I there was a couple different topics. I said, I don't know if that feels like a really good thing. And then right as I was about to record this segment, oh, I don't know. Odell Beckham just signs with the Los Angeles Rams. And so I know I don't normally talk NFL but this is obviously the biggest story in sports outside of Jim Mora. I mean, let's be honest here. Outside of Jim Mora, uh, this is the biggest story in sports. The Rams are completely doing something the likes of which we really don't see in sports in the way that they're building this team. And I think it's so interesting. I think it's so fun. I think I'm gonna spend six, seven, eight minutes just talking about Odell Beckham Jr. here. And if you don't like the NFL, or if you think I'm an idiot and shouldn't be talking NFL, feel free to skip forward to where I preview week whatever it is 11 in college football but I do want to talk Odell Beckham Jr. just for a minute just for fun right because it is such a fascinating story it is such a fascinating topic and let me say this I think there are two completely different conversations to be had within this one conversation one just how good is Odell Beckham and just how much of an impact is he going to have on the Rams but then also the Rams themselves who, as I just said a moment ago, are completely flipping on the head the way that we think you're supposed to build a franchise in the NFL. Just fascinating to see how they're doing it, and it'll be fascinating to see over the next two to three months leading into the Super Bowl, if it works. So let's talk about it. Let's debate, discuss, conversate, whatever. And first of all, what I would say is this. Look, Odell Beckham, as I said, There is zero doubt that he is one of probably the 10 most recognizable players in the NFL right now, maybe one of the five most recognizable players in the NFL right now, one of the 10, 15, 20 most recognizable athletes in the world. Um, I don't know if he's still like a top five wide receiver, though. Uh, Part of it is, of course, Cleveland and we understand it was never the right fit. They probably never should have traded for him in the first place, but they were feeling the momentum coming off that first season with Baker Mayfield where they won won a bunch of games late. They felt like they had a window with Baker Mayfield. They already had Jarvis Landry. They already had Miles Garrett. Why not push all the chips in the middle with Odell Beckham? It clearly didn't work in Cleveland. It's clearly not all Odell Beckham's fault. Baker Mayfield was never the quarterback for him. And so obviously going to L.A. where he is going to be a big star, where he can do all the the off-the-field, off-the-court things that all these athletes like LeBron James want to do, um, it's going to be a great fit for him off the field. And I think on the field, if Odell still has it, We're going to find out, because Matthew Stafford can throw throw anybody open, right? And so Odell, obviously, in his prime, was one of the great big play, deep threat guys, but it's also worth asking, is he even in his prime anymore? I mean, he just turned 29 years old. He, of course, last year was limited to seven games, coming off major knee surgery. He was not great this year in Cleveland, and again, it's not his fault. It's partly Baker Mayfield's fault, was never the right fit for him, but... I I do think we're kind of living in a world where we're kind of giving Odell Beckham credit in 2021 for the things that he did in 2015, 2016, even 2017. Here are Odell Beckham's last four seasons in the NFL. 2017, he played a grand total of four games, had 25 catches, three touchdowns. Doesn't sound like a superstar wide receiver to me. Injuries, bad quarterback play in New York, whatever. 2018. He plays 12 games, 77 catches, 1,000 yards receiving, six touchdowns, okay? Uh, Then he gets traded to Cleveland, 16 games for Cleveland in his first year, 74 catches, just over 1,000 yards, four touchdowns. Last year, he gets hurt seven games, 23 catches, three touchdowns. This year, six games played, 17 catches, 232 yards, zero touchdown scores. So why do I bring it up? It is because of the fact it has now been five years since Odell Beckham has had over 100 catches. And believe it or not, Odell has only had 100 catches one time in his entire NFL career, and that was in the 2016 season for the New York Football Giants. On top of that, it has also been five years since he has had 10-plus touchdown catches in a single season. And so you start to kind of really break it down. You start to say, is he really that guy anymore? I don't know. But I will give him – I will give kind of all parties involved in Cleveland credit. Listen – I know he forced his way out. I am not in favor. I've talked about it for years of athletes kind of forcing their way out of bad situations. But I do think there's a difference between a 29-year-old wide receiver who is maybe in the final stages of his career and say a 25, 26-year-old NBA superstar just waking up one day with four years left on their contract and saying, I want out. I don't want to be here anymore. To me, it's different when Anthony Davis asking for a trade with four years left on his contract when he signs up to be the face of the franchise in New Orleans. That's a lot different to me than Odell getting traded to Cleveland playing in Cleveland it's clearly not working and he clearly has to move out but is he that guy anymore I don't know the good thing is we are going to find out here in Los Angeles with the Rams what I would also say though is this I absolutely love what the Rams are doing this year, and I love the fact that they have basically taken 40 or 50 years of team-building philosophy, completely flipped it on their heads, and said, screw the draft, screw development, screw five years from now, screw 10 years from now, we are in the business of winning now, and here's why I love it. One, because it makes for great content. I mean, this is probably the first time I've really done an NFL segment on this show that didn't involve Urban Meyer, Dirty Dancing, and Vanna Nights with some other person than his wife, but The reason is because it's such an interesting topic to discuss, right? And I think it's really interesting from this perspective as well. There are teams that are really successfully still building through the draft in the NFL and having a ton of success. The Dallas Cowboys, to me, are fascinating. We all criticize the Cowboys and make fun of them and Jerry Jones and all. Uh, They have knocked it out of the park on the NFL draft year after year after year for about five, six, seven years in a row. Dak Prescott, late-round pick, nailed him. Trayvon Diggs, second-round pick, nailed that pick. Might be the best defensive back in the NFL. Leighton Van Der Esch, nobody knew anything about him, was a first-round pick. The offensive line has worked out. C.D. Lamb, late in the first round, has worked out. Everything the Cowboys have done, essentially, has been through the NFL draft. The Rams, they have basically said, screw the NFL draft, we are going for big names, bright lights, we're the 1994, 95, 96, 97 New York Yankees under George Steinbrenner. We're going to pay big money, we're going to pay for big stars, we don't care about five years from now, we are here to win now. And I love it for a few different reasons. One, like I said, it makes for great conversation on a show like this. Two, on top of that, it is also worth noting, I say it all the time in sports, you see it all the time. These windows in sports are not as big as we all think they are. Um, You know, I go back to think about, for example, when... I don't know, LeBron wins a championship with Kyrie, and you sit there and say, oh my goodness, LeBron and Kyrie, give me five, you know, they're gonna, you can even go back before that. How about Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden? All with the Oklahoma City Thunder, I believe they were all under 24 at the time they made the NBA Finals, and you said, oh my God, this team is going to run the NBA's Western Conference for the next decade. James Harden gets traded a few weeks later. KD and Russell Westbrook never make an NBA Finals again. You go across sports. I just mentioned LeBron and Kyrie. How about, by the way, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden? I remember watching them in the NBA playoffs last year in that game where Kyrie stomped on the floor, and I said, if these guys stick together, nobody is beating them. Uh, James Harden gets hurt literally the next game. Kyrie Irving gets hurt in the next series, and now they may never play together again. In college football, we see it all the time. I remember when Jim Harbaugh signed at Michigan, we thought, oh my God, Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer, and that's going to be the next uh, 10-year war. Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes, they coached against each other four times, and it was over. Urban Meyer was out. Uh, Jimbo Fisher when he was at Florida State oh my god this is going to go on forever Jimbo at at Florida State Dabo Clemson this incredible rivalry Dabo Clemson uh, uh excuse me Jimbo Fisher bounces a few years later so these windows are never as big in sports as we think and I give credit for the Rams for pushing all in for basically saying draft picks don't matter the future doesn't matter we're here to win now and I do think for a couple reasons it's the right philosophy first of all I will say this year specifically it's the right philosophy because the Super Bowl is at SoFi Stadium. And so you talk about a way to ring in being a team in a new city, in a new stadium. And I know they've been in L.A. for about four or five years now. How about bringing home a, the Vince Lombardi Trophy to Los Angeles? That is one. And that is a way in a crowded sports market. And we're going to talk more about it. There are a lot of young kids, 8, 10, 12 years old, that don't have an NFL football team. How do you get them in, invested, interested? Win the Super Bowl, win the big one, go all in and take care of it. Two, they have a team where there's no reason to play for tomorrow. Matthew Stafford is 33 years old right now as I record here today on November 11th. Aaron Donald is 30. Vaughn Miller is 32. All your guys, except for Jalen Ramsey, basically, Cooper Cup, are 30 plus years old. You don't have a five to seven year window with Aaron Donald being the best interior defensive lineman in the league. You don't have five years with Vaughn Miller. You have right now to win this thing. And then I think beyond that, what, what I said about Los Angeles a minute ago is accurate. And listen, I know a lot of sports commentators make this conversation. They talk about it, all that good stuff. But I really do think there is something to be said about going for it in Los Angeles. I've said, it, said this all the time. Los Angeles is a great sports town. What Los Angeles doesn't have time for is mediocrity. Los Angeles, the Dodgers have led the MLB in attendance for years. The Lakers have been sold out for years, and they play on Christmas Day, New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, whatever. But people want to go see greatness in Los Angeles, and and this isn't, and I say it all the time, it's not Norman, Oklahoma. It's not Bloomington, Indiana. I, I, I think I've told this story before, but I told Steve Alford this one time. I said, Steve Alford, you have the hardest job in college basketball, because in Bloomington, Indiana, where you played, Even they'll go and boo you if you're not good, but fifteen thousand people will show up to Assembly Hall to boo you. Pauley Pavilion, two thousand people will show up to boo you. They're just not going to show up. They're not going to sit in traffic. There's too much to do. And so when you look at Los Angeles right now, the sports scene is booming. I went to a Dodgers playoff game a few weeks ago. It was incredible. I went to a a, you know a Lakers game. I haven't been to a Lakers game in a while, but I've been to enough to know it's incredible. The Clippers are good now. USC football, we'll see what they do. And by the way, this was my argument with USC when they fired Clay Helton. I said, you better go out and nail this coaching hire because the Rams are coming, the Chargers are coming, you already got the Lakers, you already got the Dodgers. You will lose fans and never get them back, USC, if you do not get this coaching hire right. And I think it's the same thing with the Rams. I think they understand. To capture this city, you have to win at the highest level. And I'll tell you, I have already been blown away by how awesome and the, the, the interest is in the Rams in this city. I think I said it, but right around the time that Clay Helton was fired at USC, I had gone to a Rams game. I went to that Rams-Bears, the first Sunday night game of the season, first game at SoFi Stadium. I was blown away by how much interest there is in the Rams already in this city. Now, you've already toppled USC football. Right now, they are hotter than USC football, hotter than UCLA football, hotter than UCLA basketball, hotter than the Clippers. You already took them down. You want to catch the Lakers? You want to catch the Dodgers? Go win a Super Bowl. I love the Odell Beckham signing. I love the fearlessness of the Rams. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if it won't. But I love big gambles, big risk, big reward. We'll see if that happens. But I am so fired up to see how it all works. How about that? You didn't think your boy had a 10-minute NFL segment in him, did he? I just pulled an Odell segment right off the top of my head. That's what I do on this show. All right, let's wrap up with college football. Let's get back to college football. Week 11 slate. Let me just say this. I don't think it's this unbelievable, incredible can't-miss slate. There's a lot of really interesting games, though, because I think there's still a lot of teams that really have a lot to play for, right? Um, Michigan. We all talk about Ohio State. We all talk about Michigan State. Michigan is, they're 9-1. They went out. They're going to the playoff. Uh, Texas A&M, I don't think, is by any stretch of the imagination out of the playoff picture. They would have to win out. They would have to get some luck and have Alabama lose. But if Texas A&M gets the SEC championship game, I think they match up better with Georgia than Alabama does. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, I think there's a chance that they're better than Georgia is going into this SEC uh, right now in the SEC slate. Uh, Baylor, Oklahoma, we'll talk about in a minute. So a lot to get into, a lot to discuss, lot to debate. Let's talk about it. First of all, first big game, Michigan and Penn State. Uh, for, for the point spread perspective, for the gamblers, DraftKings Sportsbook, promo code. Oh, there's no promo code there. Manscaped.com promo code tours. DraftKings Sportsbook. Click the link in the bio. But I bring it up to just say this is that when I look at um, this this game with Michigan and Penn State, Michigan is now a one-point favorite. What this game says to me, what I need to know is this. All the numbers tell me Michigan's the better team. And I like Michigan. I think they're pretty good. This game simply comes down to do we trust Jim Harbaugh? Is he going to get the job done? Is he going to get the job done in a big game that matters with his season on the line? Because, again, all the numbers favor Michigan. It's kind of staggering, actually. You know, I said this the other day, um, and I give, by the way, the, the playoff committee, I talked about it, the playoff committee a few days ago, they were talking about why they moved Michigan ahead of Michigan State. I don't agree with them doing that, but the logic that Michigan is the more complete team, it's hard to disagree with. They really don't do anything poorly. They run the ball really effectively. They don't pass the ball really, really well, but they actually do. They just don't pass the ball a lot. But when they have to pass the ball, they do it at a very efficient rate. Very good in run defense. Very, very good in pass defense. And that's what's interesting to me in this game. Michigan has no real weaknesses. Penn State, on the other hand, has one really big weakness. They cannot run the football. 117th nationally in rushing. Number uh, 14 or 13 out of 14 big 10 teams in rushing. Only Purdue is worse. And so Penn State, to their credit, look, Penn State has played some really good teams this year. They played at Wisconsin. They played at Iowa, Auburn at home, at Ohio State. They have had probably outside of Arkansas, maybe Nebraska, one or two other teams, the toughest schedule in college football. But at the same time, At this point, you are what you are and you are what the stats say you are. And the stats say you cannot run the football, Penn State. And so because of it, I am just fascinated to see, can they do anything on the ground to help Sean Clifford? And what's interesting is Michigan is pretty good in run defense. They are great in pass defense, ninth nationally in pass defense, seventh in yards per completion allowed. And so you're going to have to have a great game from Sean Clifford for Penn State to win, and you are going to have to hope that you can get something going on the ground. Uh, We don't talk betting picks here. My Aaron Torres online betting picks, though. I do have Michigan winning this game. I just think all the advantages go to Michigan State. I think every kind of tangible measurement, especially, and by the way, I didn't even mention, when Michigan has the football, they are very effective at running the football. Penn State has only been okay in run defense, ranking 49th nationally. That's basically right around 50, you know, kind of at the 50th percentile in college football. I do like Michigan to win this game. And if they win this game, it just sets up such a fascinating couple weeks. They have, obviously, Penn State this week. They have Maryland next week. Could we once again have a 10-1 Michigan, 10-1 Ohio State playing for the Big Ten title. My, oh my, would Harbaugh, would the heat be on him if he could not get the win there? But I do think they win this weekend. Could be completely wrong. But that's how I see the game going uh, really quickly Baylor at uh, Baylor hosting Oklahoma excuse me Oklahoma is a five and a half point favorite and what I'll say is this Oklahoma has been really kind of interesting because they've been basically out of the conversation for the last three four five weeks right you know they they, they 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 have that great win against Texas then they play TCU Caleb Williams is playing they play Kansas Kansas sucks they play Texas Tech Texas Tech sucks then we get our first college football playoff ranking last week. They are on a bye. We got our second ranking. Oklahoma still has not played yet. So they finally return to the field. They finally play a ranked opponent. And I'll say this. This is another one where the advantage actually goes to Oklahoma here. At the end of the day, Baylor is an interesting team. Their head coach is Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda was LSU's defensive coordinator when LSU won the national championship two years ago. And why it's interesting is this, is I think when we think Dave Aranda, we assume that Baylor has a really good run defense, they're really effective, or a really good defense, excuse me, really awesome on defense, they shut everybody out. They're actually 57th nationally in defense right now. They are not very good, and they are giving up a lot of yardage. 562 yards to TCU last week in a loss, over 400 yards in wins against Texas and BYU. So if you're giving up 400 plus yards in wins, imagine what you're doing in losses. And what's interesting about Baylor is a lot of yards given up, not necessarily a ton of points. And so they kind of have this bend, but don't break type defense. That concerned me because bend, but don't break is not the way you want to approach playing Oklahoma. Oklahoma is going to break your back over and over and over again. It is worth mentioning, by the way, Uh, Oklahoma's offense has been rolling since Caleb Williams took over. Almost 700 yards against Texas. I know some of that was Spencer Rattler, but most of it was Caleb Williams. 541 yards against Texas Tech. 398 yards against Kansas. 525 yards against TCU. So basically they've gone for over 500 yards in every game Caleb Williams has played, except for the Kansas game when Kansas just tried to keep the ball on the ground. I think they'll be able to move the ball out of Baylor defense, which isn't very good. And then on top of that, it's also worth noting with Oklahoma, very good run defense for Oklahoma. Baylor prefers to run the ball there in the top 10 nationally. Oklahoma, the number 17 ranked rush defense. So it's a road game, but this one like Michigan Penn State, it is a uh, afternoon kickoff. It is a noon Eastern kickoff. In this case, 11 central time, local time in Waco along the Brazos River, baby. And so I think all the advantages go to Oklahoma. They are a pick of mine as well. Let's go to A&M. And Ole Miss, another top 25 matchup. Interesting, Michigan-Penn State isn't a top 25 matchup. Baylor-Oklahoma is, as is Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Now, let me just say this. I said it a minute ago. I don't think there's any debate right now that a is the second best team in the SEC. Now, you can argue if they'll get to the SEC championship game because they still need Alabama to either lose next week to Arkansas or the week after to Albert. But in terms of who is the better team right now, a m already beat them, and AM is playing really well. They're a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is really beat up right now. And it's funny, because anytime I say oh, Ole Miss is beat up dealing with injuries, everybody gets all defensive. Everybody's hurt this time of year. Everybody's dealing with injuries. Yeah, I get it. But Ole Miss has played seven straight games at this point. They played Liberty last week, and then they played six straight SEC games before that. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, you can forgive me. I guess it's six with five straight SEC games. But they're really beat up. Uh, Lane Kiffin said Matt Corral has not even practiced the last few weeks because he's been so banged up. And so when I look at this, I mean, you're going up against an A&M team that is absolutely dominating lo- both lines of scrimmage the last few weeks, 200-plus yards rushing in each of their last three wins, Missouri, South Carolina, and last weekend's Auburn, and completely dominant defensively as well when you talk about Texas A&M. I mean, what they did to Auburn the other day, I felt bad for Auburn. Like, I don't feel bad for teams often, but, Auburn couldn't do anything. Auburn finished the game with 226 yards total offense, 153 yards passing on 41 attempts, 3.7 yards per attempt, 73 yards rushing, 2.5 yards per attempt. This is for Auburn against Texas A&M last week. Texas A&M's just really, really locked in on defense. They are completely dominating the line of scrimmage. And I'll tell you this with Ole Miss too. We keep thinking, they're Ole Miss. It's Lane Kiffin. They're gonna break out of it. They're gonna start scoring points. Let's call a spade a spade. They're really banged up. They're really injured. Here is what Ole Miss has done offensively the last couple of games. 27 points against Liberty, 20 points against Auburn, 31 against LSU, 31 against Tennessee. So we are now going on a four-week stretch where they have not scored more than 41 points. For a lot of teams, that'd be really good. For Ole Miss, that is not. I do think the advantage here goes to AM, even on the road. Really quickly, we'll rip through a couple other games. We'll get out of here. Uh, Ohio State at Purdue. This is a really interesting one because it's another one where, um, you know, point spread perspective. uh, If you care about that kind of stuff, all the money is coming in on Ohio State. They were a 21 point favorite. It got down to 20 the last couple days. It has gone back up to 21 points. And I don't really understand why. Purdue is a very, very, very first of all, they're a good team. They beat Iowa. They beat Penn State or they beat uh, Michigan State last week. They nearly beat Notre Dame early in the year. So that's three teams that are basically were top 10 teams when they played them. They went 2-1 and one against them and easily could have beaten the third one. And the one thing that they do really well is the one thing that Ohio State struggles with. Ohio State struggles to defend the pass. Ohio State is ranked 96 nationally in pass, de- pass defense, and it's not even as though they've played good pass offenses. Of the nine games they've played, set, uh, uh, five of them, more than half of their games, are against teams that have pass offenses in the bottom half of college football. Three of them are in the bottom, uh, you know, 30 of college football out of the 130 teams playing. Minnesota's ranked 122nd in pass offense, Rutgers 104th, Indiana 105th. I mean, you have not even played good pass offenses, and you can't get teams off the field passing-wise. 361 yards uh, two weeks ago for Penn State. I'd be worried if I was a Buckeyes fan. Purdue has a great pass offense, and it's also worth noting, Purdue actually has a pretty good pass defense as well. 15th nationally in that category and CJ Stroud as good as he was in the middle of the year he has struggled of late last two games three touchdowns two interceptions against uh, Penn State and Nebraska before that he had had 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the three games before that and so you look at CJ Stroud he's starting to struggle the offense is not clicking quite the way that they were even a few weeks ago because of it Uh, I think this one's close I think it's competitive whatever. Really quickly, we'll get out of here with a couple more games. Uh, Arkansas, Missis, or Arkansas, LSU. I'm just gonna tell you, I have no idea how to even begin projecting this one. Arkansas, of course, is coming off of a very nice win against Mississippi State. They were actually outgained by a pretty comfortable, uh, pretty comfortable margin. Uh, you know, last week, or uh, yeah, last week against Mississippi State. They come back, they find a way to win. LSU is just the most bizarre team in college football right now. I have no idea if they're trying to play hard for Coach O or not, okay? Last five games for LSU. Let's just look at what LSU has done the last five games. They they blew a late lead against Auburn. They got destroyed by Kentucky. They beat Florida. They play a game against Ole Miss where they're not even really competitive. And they lose to Alabama in a game where they're very competitive and held, held, held Alabama to six yards rushing. So some weeks they run the ball well, some weeks they don't. Some weeks they pass the ball well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they play defense, sometimes they don't. I have no idea what to make of this LSU team. So if you're going to bet this one, good luck to you. This is just one where I'm going to sit there and watch. It'll obviously be during my Fox Sports radio show, so I'll have it on in the studio. But just a bizarre game to try to even speculate. And I'll kind of say the same with Mississippi State-Auburn. Um, you know, it's a five-and-a-half point spread. Mississippi State, obviously, as I just said, lost at Arkansas last week in a game where they where they were, uh, you know, ahead with just a minute to go. Arkansas drives the length of the field. Mississippi State, I will say, uniquely built to beat Auburn. Really good run defense. A bunch of interceptions, 10 interceptions in nine games. Obviously, as I've said many times with Auburn, what you want to do, you want to put the ball in Bo Nix's hands. You want to make Bo Nix beat you. Uh, And generally speaking, Bo Nix is not going to beat you. I would probably lean Mississippi State by five and a half in that one. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Erator Sports Podcast. I got to get out of here. Go host Fox Sports Radio. So before I get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed, Erator Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give me a quick five stars. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. My Odell Beckham rant, how about that? How about Odell Beckham from your boy Torres? You didn't expect to hear that one, did you? But that's it. Uh, make sure you're subscribed, rate, review. Uh, also, make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who Hates My Voice. Shout out to Jim L. Mora, the new head coach of the UConn Huskies. I will be back next week, party people. Enjoy the weekend.